Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Field. He was sharp. He was shooting. They said he was the best in the world. And he had hit the target, the bullseye, from 50 meters with his rifle uh, to the point in this competition where it came into the last round, the playoff for the gold medal. And he, all he had to do was actually hit the target, anywhere on the target. And anyway, he lined up his rifle and he, took it, he looked down the scope and he took his shot and he hit bullseye. However, there's typically a, 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 an alert that bounces when the bullseye is hit. As he shot it and he hit the bullseye, there was no alert. And it turned out that he had actually been aiming for someone else's target. And so he hit a different target. He hit the bullseye, but because he didn't hit his own target, he actually dropped to come eighth. So he blew the gold medal because he hit the wrong target. The poor guy, the next Olympics, he's lined up again, and this time he's not going for the gold medal, he's he's playing off for the silver medal, and as he's lining up his shot, he accidentally hits the trigger, and he misses everything. (laughs) He's got a good sense of humor, but he's he's pretty happy, he he, he was okay with it, he's like, oh well, life happens type thing. But it made me think about how we can really focus on something and go towards something, and even hit what we're aiming for. But if our target is not right, it doesn't really matter if we hit the bullseye or not, because we're aiming in the wrong, at the wrong thing. Now, God has been pretty clear with us in His Word that there are certain things that He would have us to aim for in life. There are certain things that He would focus us on and call us to focus us focus ourselves around and we see them in his word and at the start of this new year I felt to kind of help to calibrate us and to help to bring us into focus and alignment with some of the things that God would have us focus on as a church and as individuals in this new year. In the book of Acts we see that the the early church is actually formed Uh, The apostles preaching the good news, the Holy Spirit uh, descends, they're they're filled with the Spirit, and then the church is formed. And we see the early stages, the infancy of this covenant community we call the body of the church uh, coming together. And in that time when the church was being formed, there were some habits that the, the Christians, the early Christians, formed corporately and individually that brought them to a place of health and growth in Jesus. They grew, it says that the, the number was added to them daily, they continued to grow and they were healthy as they kind of aimed their lives towards these certain things that we see in the book of Acts. I felt that as the start of this year, you know, we, who's, you, you've probably already made some resolutions for this year. And let's be honest, you've probably already broken some resolutions for this year. And we're only a week in. Yeah, we can aim at the wrong thing. And even though we hit it, it doesn't bring growth or health to our lives. And so I'm feeling this morning God is kind of wanting to bring our focus and our attention around some things that we could 
possibly develop as holy habits to bring us to a place of growth and maturity. Just as Vicky was speaking about before, God taking us to that next, that kind of that next step in our maturity and our growth and transformation. So when the early church was formed, we read in the, at the end of Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2, verse 41. We see that some things happened, that they organized themselves in a certain way. My sleeve is rolling down, which is annoying me, so just give me a second. They, they organized themselves in a certain way. It says in verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number on that day. That's a really uh, exciting thing to see 3,000 new Christians come to the Lord. On that one day, they were baptized and uh, they were added to the church. And this is what it says then. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Who sound, that sounds like a good community to be a part of, doesn't it? When we see that there is joy, that they are being added to, that the Lord is giving favor, that they are growing, that there is this love, that there is this sharing of possessions. But there's a line in there that shows us what they thought was important to focus their attention on. And it starts in, in that, that first part of 42. It says, they devoted themselves to so as the church was being formed, there was a, 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 a couple of holy habits that the church devoted themselves to. That word in the Greek, devoted, that phrase, devoted themselves to, means that they gave themselves over to these things. They made it a priority to practice these things. It almost has the sense of they addicted themselves to these things. This wasn't just a, a nice idea for them. Hey, we, we should do this from time to time. This was a big priority for the corporate church and the individuals in the church to give their lives to. It wasn't just the side thought, you know, it'll be nice for us to do this. This was what they organized themselves around. This is what they aimed for. Four things that we read there. The apostles' teaching or the apostles' doctrine to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I dare say that God has patterns within the Word of God that show us how community, church, uh, all sorts of things, family, should be strength and uh, maturity and growth within them. And I feel like this is a pattern for community that helps us to grow and to mature. But what's interesting is that it says that all of them, all of the believers. Again, it wasn't just one or two who were passionate and on fire for God. This was a corporate devotion to a certain set of, of, of values and, and outworkings that would bring about life. What has tended to happen over the years, and we've observed this in the Western church particularly, is that we have not seen some of the things that we desire in God 
for the church, be it new Christians, be it uh, all the miraculous, all of those certain, all of those different things that we may desire to see. And so we've looked outside of the church to the patterns of the world and we have incorporated certain systems and structures that we have then imprinted or implanted onto the church, hoping that it will bring the results that we see outside of the church. E.g., we see CEO model being brought into kind of leadership and structure, whereas God has patterns within the word of how the, the church should be governed. And so we don't need to look externally to kind of find what, what the methods are. What it, what, uh, you know, there was this kind of wave that went through the church about church growth models. Anyone ever he- heard of that? If you were in ministry, you probably saw you know, the church, we've got to do this and do that and your car parks and all these different things. I'll give you a church growth model. Devote yourself to Jesus and we devote ourselves to these things and watch what the Lord does. We don't need to look outside for the patterns to build the church or to build into our lives. We've got to look to the Word of God. He, he's not hidden them from us. They're pretty clear and they're pretty obvious to us. But it says that they devoted themselves to these things. Now, what, another observation is that we tend to, even in Australia, compartmentalize life. And I guess blokes, we're probably even more so uh, compartmentalizing, putting things in different boxes and saying, this is my kind of Christian box over here. Here is my work box over here. Here is my family box over here. But, but I dare say that, that following Jesus requires not compartmentalizing, but prioritizing in every Every sphere of your life, those things that he would call us to. When we compartmentalize, we create a a, a division in our own lives from what is, say, sacred and what is what we may call secular or what is holy and what is not. Whereas everything in our lives, our, our work, our vocation, our family, it is all to be holy to God. And so it's all to be centered around him and prioritized around him. We don't actually get to compartmentalize. Now, you may not be, you know, well, I'm just a kind of Sunday Christian. You, you heard that phrase before where my faith is kind of active on a Sunday. I'm part of a church. I, I come along. But then during the week, I, I, I kind of do my own thing. It may not be to that extreme, but there can still be division in our minds and in our hearts of what is to God and what is not. So my time, where does that fit into it? My, my devotion, my uh, work, my vocation, where does this all fit? It is all holy to Him. It should all be consecrated and set apart for His purposes and His glory, yeah? So we're not to compartmentalize and build these boxes where on Sunday I hit the Christian box and then during the rest of the week I kind of hit whatever else box I, I, I want. It's all to be focused and structured and centered around Him. To build habits into our lives that would, uh, where the the what we do actually shapes who we become. And I think that these four things that are given, that we see the church devote themselves to, whilst you practice the what, it's in doing that you become who God has called you to be. It's as you follow the apostles' doctrine as you submit to that, that, that God is able to work through His Word, by His Spirit, in your life to transform you. Yeah? The what actually shapes the who. And so, as we 
build into those different areas by doing this, it actually tra- helps God to transform us into the people that He's desiring and calling us to be. So we want to go through those areas. And I know, you know, you've probably read this passage a hundred times. I keep saying this, don't tell me you know it unless your life shows it. If, if the wisdom of the Word is not applied to our lives, it becomes theory, it becomes a great idea, it becomes some sort of faraway oasis, but by the power of the Spirit, the Word can be applied to our life where it becomes our living reality. My desire for us as a church is that this would be our reality. Not just a, a picture that we hold on the wall like a vision statement that we're heading toward, but a devotion in our hearts that brings us toward who God has called us to be and allows Him to do what He wants to with this community. Are you with me? Four of us. Let's go. So the first thing that we see that they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching or the apostles' doctrine. Now, we've got to remember that at this point in time, they didn't have a Bible like we have. So the early church was really relying upon the, the scriptures that we see in the Old Testament and the word of the apostles, the teaching and the doctrine of the apostles who had lived with Jesus So what they had firsthand received from Jesus, they passed on to the rest of the church. So they were pointing back to what the scriptures see in the old and those things that they had heard Jesus say, that they had seen Jesus do, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We see this throughout. So at this point in time, as a Christian, you couldn't just wake up and roll over and grab your phone and open up and see the version scripture for the day. You actually had to get out of your home and go to a place where there was, uh, whether it was a, a public setting like a temple or a synagogue or an area where there was a public reading of the scriptures so that you could hear what the word was saying. They didn't carry around their own little Bibles. They had to rely on the public domain, the corporate body, to hear what the scriptures said. We saw that with Jesus. He walked into the temple and what? In the synagogue, he heard the scripture. He opened the scroll, opened the, the scrolls and read from the, the scrolls. It was a public thing. It wasn't just, a, we're going to grab the Bible this morning and read our favorite passage. There was actually effort that took place to just devote yourself to the word of God. We are so blessed to have this. We are blessed to have this in our hands. Do you know people died, literally gave their lives to bring us to the point where we can carry this so freely? There were people who protected the scriptures to bring them to us so that we could hold them in our little hands today. And I don't know how many Bibles you've got floating around the house, but it is time to dust them off and start to get into the Word of God. There are people who gave their lives. You know, back in the day before the printing press, before they, they had these little scrolls, they had these uh, things that they would carry. And there were people that literally memorized every letter, every word, just in case the scroll got damaged so that they wouldn't lose the word of God. They, they committed it to memory so that it was protected. And we don't even think of that. We just pick it up and perhaps treat it with a little bit of contempt because we've become so familiar with it. This book has the power to change your life. Do you know there are people in China who I've heard the stories of them taking one page of Scripture 
and just memorizing, committing the whole thing to memory because that's all they've got and living off that one thing and God speaking to them and ministering to them and, and, and uh, strengthening them through one little page. We got the whole book. How blessed are we to have the Word of God? They devoted themselves to this. They devoted themselves to the, to the Word. And the word that is used in the Greek is actually the doctrines of the apostles. Doctrine, let me say, we're not saved by our doctrine, but we are definitely kept safe by our doctrine. Salvation comes through Christ, through faith in Jesus, not by the, the doctrines that you have. It's through Christ. However, when we are in Christ, our doctrines keep us safe. They safeguard us from wandering away, from going in the wrong direction. So these, these principles or these guidelines that God gives in His Word actually give us safety in our salvation. You know that there is a time coming, and the Bible talks about this. I know we're praying for you know, end-time harvest for revival. There is a time coming when there will be a great falling away. When there will be deception that will sneak into churches, where there will be into the, into the fellowship, into the gatherings, where people will listen to things that tickle their ears, when they will go in the direction of, of whatever makes them feel good, and those who are not rooted in the Word of God are at risk of falling away. Not that God would let them go, but that they would walk away, wander away in deception. They're saying right now that we're, we're in the most biblical, illiterate culture in any time people just don't know the word of God and so great philosophies are rising up there's great ideas and ideologies that are being sold to Christians to the church because we don't know the word if there was ever a time to get back to devote yourself to the apostles doctrine to, to the word of God it is right now Paul constantly told Timothy, watch your doctrine. Watch the pattern of your life and watch the pattern of your teaching. Make sure that it is in line with what you have heard and received from me. Because in time, there will be people who come in to try and muddy the waters with things that sound really spiritual, but are actually deceitful. And the only way that you will safeguard yourself from that is to know what the Word says. Let's not be flippant with the Word of God. Let's not, be, uh, you know, let's not be familiar with the Word of God. You might have read through the Scriptures a hundred times. You know that the next time you read, you're going to find something different. God's going to bring something new, new revelation, fresh revelation. Perhaps it's something that you already knew. He's just going to build upon that. Don't put it away. Don't put it down. Now is the time to devote ourselves again to the doctrines, to the, to the Word of God. Get yourself a regular rhythm for reading your Word. Perhaps a Bible plan. Perhaps it's to go through with some other Christians that we're going to read through the Gospel of Mark or we're going to read through a certain passage and we're going to break this down together and we're going to learn how to apply this to our lives. Let's get back to what God says. This is such a gift to us. Such a gift. And it shouldn't just be put aside. We wonder why we see so much messiness. Well, it comes back to walking away from what God's actually said. 
He had a hunger for this again. They devoted themselves to it. We want this to begin from a place of devotion where our hearts are actually, God, I want to know what you say. I want to know what you, what you think. I want to know what your, your heart is. But along the way, there's got to be a, a part of d- discipline as well. It's a rhythm of devotion and discipline, devotion and discipline, where you may not feel like reading for that day, but you still get into the Word because you know that God can do something in that. And even just opening those pages is an invitation for Him to do something in your heart. Devotion and discipline in this. But it wasn't just that they were devoted to the reading of the Word or to the understanding of the Word or the study of the Word. They were devoted to living it out. This is what it meant, that they were devoted to these teachings. That they they would say that our lives will be shaped by what it says in this book. And the outworking of our community is going to look like the pages that you read in this book. That when you look at our community of faith, you will know what we believe by the way we behave. You will know what we hold, what we hold and what we value by what, what, we, what you see in our lives. Because we're going to not just devote ourselves to learning the Word, we're going to devote ourselves to living out the Word. And that can be a big challenge. That can be tougher than just getting into the Word. It's got to start getting into it. You won't devote yourself to, to following it if you don't believe it and if, you're not, if you don't know it. But they devoted themselves to this. And you might be here this morning and now you say, you know what? I, I, I believe the Word of God. I read the Word of God daily. I know the Word of God. I, I've got a store in my heart. Then I would say to you, now go and help others. Go and use what you have learned to help others. Because there are some people even in this room that are newer Christians. They don't have the same understanding. They haven't grown up with the same principles and beliefs. And the Word of God to them is all new. It's all foreign. It's only by the revelation of the Holy Spirit that they can understand it. But to bring people together who will say, you know what, I've been in the Word for years and now I'm going to help someone else who doesn't know. I'm going to sit with someone and guide someone and mentor someone. Help them to, to understand what this word says. Where is it? Uh, Luke, you, you prompted me on this uh, passage the other day. Where is it? Can you put it up, please, Phoebe, in Hebrews chapter 5? It says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need food. Anyone who lives on milk, but solid food is for the majority have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. There are some of us that by now could be teaching others. And however, we have to keep going over there to you this year. If that is you, if you know the Word, if you've been studying, if you know what God says in His Word... Get with some people that don't. Disciple some new, new Christians. We've got new Christians who are like, I, I don't know what to believe. I, I, I've come from this religion. I've come from this place. I need someone to just sit with me and to, to talk. If that is you, come and talk to me. Let's connect people together so that we can hear and live out God's word, yeah? That could be a challenge to you in this year. 
to sit with someone else and to help them come to learn. We have teachers in the church who help to bring this, uh, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to, to help to unpack some of these things, but also on the level of one to another, maybe running a life group or a Bible study or a discipleship group, getting a few people together over the word. But they devoted themselves to this. The next thing that we see that they devoted themselves to was fellowship. Fellowship. Devotion to Christ-centered community. Fellowship, that Greek word koinonia, which means a communion with, to have a close, intimate communion with. Fellowship with God, we have this relationship that goes like this. And then fellowship with one another, where we have close connection one with the other. There is a lie that is being sold right now that you can walk your Christian life alone. That you can do it in separation from other believers and still thrive in your walk with God. There is nowhere in Scripture, apart, the only place I can see that is when John is exiled to Patmos and still gets revelation from God. Everywhere else, people are added to a family of believers, to, a, to, a, to not an organization, but to a family of believers. And there they fellowship with those people and grow together in Christ with this thing called Christ-centered community. The lie is that you can do it on your own. COVID had, had made that even louder because we can just kind of separate. We had to separate. We had to isolate. We had to break apart. And there's still the remnant of that. There's still the, the, the fragments that are, that, are, that are still in our culture right now that are telling us that we can actually survive and thrive in that environment apart from other believers. I, 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 you might be able to exist just as you might be able to exist if you don't read the Word. But are you going to grow? Are you going to mature? Are you going to develop? If you're disconnected from the body... Not in the way that you could. God brings us together. This is his plan, his purpose. His idea was they will get saved and then they will be organized together in family, in fellowship. Fellowship, that word as well, is, is, is unique to Christians. It's not talking about relationships with anyone outside of the church. With outside of the believer. That word koinonia is talking about Christian fellowship, where we hold the bond of Christ together. You might have heaps of friends that aren't part of the body. It is good to have friends that aren't Christians, yeah? As long as you're not influenced in, in the wrong areas. But this is a special kind of relationship, which is the bond that we have actually been brought together in Christ Jesus as family. You're not just sitting next to some random person that is your brother or your sister in Christ. And we are called to enjoy this thing called fellowship, relationship one with another. It's actually in the fellowship that what we learn in the Bible gets worked out. It's where you learn about love in the, as you're reading, oh, man, it's so good to love people. And then you come into the family and you've got to work out, wow, it's not easy to love people. It's good, 
It's not always easy. That's where we kind of work out what we, what we live in the Word. I want to give an extreme case here, okay? And I'm going to touch on a scripture that possibly doesn't get preached because it's quite controversial and it's quite difficult at times to understand, but it comes from 1 Corinthians 5. There was a certain thing that was happening in the church in Corinth, and Corinth was quite messy, but there was a real high thing, a real bad thing that was taking place. And there's lots of kids in the room, so I'm not going to go into what it actually was. You can go and read it in your own Bible, 1 Corinthians 5. But what was taking place was this was being promoted and celebrated in the church. And Paul had warned the Corinthians that this needs to be confronted and this person actually has to come to a place of repentance. And that had happened, but they didn't come to repentance. And so this is what takes place. Paul then says to the church that for a season you need to remove this person from fellowship. The hope is redemption. I'll show you this. I'll read the scripture. It says, verse 5, Then you must throw this man out, you've got to stay with me, all right, and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day of the Lord's return. What was taking place was actually contaminating. It was having a, a very bad effect on the fellowship. And so it needed to be de- dealt with pretty clearly. That this person was to be taken out of fellowship for a season. But he says there that the hope is that, that, that this will end to the salvation of his soul. So the hope is redemption. Yeah? You with me? So put him out. And this is why. So that the destruction of his flesh. Hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. That's the, pers- that's the purpose. Now let's think about that. Why would that take place? Because there is a covering and a protection within the family, within the fellowship. To take out and then hand over, to to, to put outside, means that that person has not just been removed from coming to a gathering. They have been placed outside of that covering of fellowship, of the safety of fellowship, of, of, of the covering that comes in the family of God. And what was to take place? The destruction of the flesh as they handed over Satan. Okay, so this was a method of church discipline. Still is. And Christians are living like this. The purpose of it was to remove from the safety of fellowship for the hope that they'll come back. And there are Christians that are choosing this. I'm going to remove myself from fellowship. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Exactly what we see there. That that there is going to be trouble. As we isolate ourselves, as we disconnect ourselves from fellowship, we're actually stepping into territory where we can be devoured. And I, I, I reckon the enemy loves it. The enemy would love for the church to be fragmented. Love for the church to be divided and disunified. Love for us to be isolated. There is safety in numbers. There is strength in being together. There is power in fellowship. And not just a Sunday gathering, whilst that's important, but in relationships with other Christians, growing together, doing life together, 
sharing what God's saying to you, sharing what God's showing you. Just walking through life with other Christians is important. Don't isolate yourself. Don't disconnect yourself. They devoted themselves to fellowship. I was thinking about this. Jean-Luc has been my friend for probably 15 years now. We've been in the same church. We've served together. We've gone through so many different things together. We've developed a friendship, a bond that is incredibly strong because we have walked through life over an extended period of time together. Same place, same church, same stuff that we've walked through. There are certain things that you can only develop over time in relationship. There are certain uh, strengths in relationship that come from being developed over time. Don't just bounce from relationship to relationship. I'm not talking about romantic, although you should listen to that advice as well. But I'm talking about from this place to that place to this place. Like plant yourself somewhere with some people that you can do life with, that you can know and that they can know you, that you can be in relationship with and they can be in relationship with you. Fellowship together. They devoted themselves to this. They said, this is important to us. And so we're going to organize and arrange ourselves around this. Let it be a year where we come together. In in Hebrews, again, in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, encouraging one another all the more even more as we see the day approaching. Don't disconnect yourself. Connect yourself to fellowship. Find people you can do life with and walk through seasons of life with them. Commit to them, good, bad, and ugly. Don't just run when it gets difficult. If the Lord says something, that's different. But we walk together in this thing called fellowship. The next part there that we see is that they uh, devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They started to focus upon Jesus. Where the table of fellowship, that, that, that table, the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread became central to the gathering of the believers. Where they would not just come together relationally, but they would come together with the focus of being on Christ. They looked to him. He was in the midst of their gathering. Again, we see Paul. The Corinthians copped it, eh? They, they had some messed up stuff going on. But we see Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 give some instructions to the, the church there in Corinth. Because in their gatherings, they had the, the fellowship kind of going well. They were getting together. They were having good parties. They were enjoying their time together. But they were doing it to the detriment of the breaking of bread and in so devaluing the Lord's presence among them. And so Paul gives them some instructions here in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, And it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on that night, when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body for you. Do this which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup in the new covenant of my, is the new covenant of my blood. Big breath. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat and drink this bread cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So they, had, they were getting together, they were having fellowship, and then when it came to the time for breaking of bread, they, he, said, he corrects them because some were eating heaps and some were getting drunk and some were doing all this different stuff, and it was becoming like this is actually devaluing the central point, which is to have Christ at the center of our community. Communion is not just something we do once a month on a Sunday, I hope. Although we may engage in it together corporately once a month on a Sunday. My hope is that as we meet together, as we gather together, we, we, we have the Lord's table with us that we break bread and remember what He has done in our midst. Perhaps with couples, perhaps with your spouse or with your family to bring back at the, the dinner table. I know many people give thanks, but again, to break bread together. Because the only reason that we're together is because of Him. Breaking of bread brings Christ back to the center of community. There's something to consider with this in how we do gatherings, in how we do our our life groups when it comes to breaking bread together. This gives us the opportunity to look in a couple of different directions as we do. As we do, And you can see up there the three directions that we look to in communion as we break bread. We firstly look backward. He says, do this in remembrance. When you're remembering, you're looking back to what Jesus had done. So as we break bread together, as we share in this, we're actually remembering what God has done. It's because of his death that we have life now. It's because of what He has done that we are able to be together. We break bread and we remember what Jesus had done. And then we look forward. We see the other direction there is that we look forward. Because as often as you do this, proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. So when we break bread, we're actually looking forward. We're proclaiming that we're going to be doing this until he returns. And we're believing that he is going to come again. And as we break bread, as we share in that, we're remembering what he's done. We're looking forward to what he's going to do. And we also look inwardly, the third direction. Whoever looks, uh, whoever therefore eats of this bread and drinks of the cup in a in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body of blood. Let a person examine himself. It's a time for examination of what's going on in our hearts. And Paul says, look at all this stuff that's going around. You guys got to use this time to actually see what, what is in your heart. What do you believe? What, what, what's going on? It's a place where it gives us time to examine ourselves, to bring those things to him, remembering that he has made sacrifice for everything. And then putting it into practice in our lives. It's not just a ritual. It's not just a good thing that we do to fill time. There is power in breaking bread together and remembering, looking forward and looking inward. And the last thing that they, we see there that they devoted themselves to was prayer. Everyone say prayer with me. Prayer. I've never met a person... When I've had a conversation with them, I say, how are you going? How's your prayer life? And they've said to me, I really need to tone it down. Like, I just pray way too much. I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm excessive in this. 
and I need someone to help put some boundaries in my life because I'm just pray, 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 pray. Never had a conversation with someone like that, but always hear this. Oh, I just, I, you know, I don't feel like I'm praying as much as I could be, as much as I would like to, as much as I, you know, desire to. And what does that say to us? That there is a desire within a Christian to commune with God in prayer. If there isn't, you might need to look at some things. If there is no desire to, to, to communicate and to commune with God in prayer, then you might need to look at a couple of things in what's happening in your heart. Because there should be this desire that we want to do life with Him. And prayer is that source of connection with God. Prayer, as we share with Him what, what's on our heart, as we listen to what's on His heart, there was this devotion in the church to prayer. We see it throughout the next few chapters of Acts that they gather together and they're praying and they're worshiping. Together they're praying and they're worshiping. And God says to them, you know, set this person apart. They're praying and they're worshiping. And he leads them in this direction. They're praying and they're worshiping. It's in prayer that they were receiving the revelation. What's the next step for the church? They're praying. It's in prayer. It's not in the boardroom. It's in the prayer room. It's where God brings divine revelation to our hearts for what His plans are, what His purposes are. And they devoted themselves to this. What's the most, what's the least gathered meeting in a church, regardless of denomination or where you go? It's the prayer meeting. Sadly, it tends to be that the prayer gathering where people come together to pray is lacking when compared to the rest of the fellowship. And that's not a, you know, a slight on anyone. There could be many different reasons for that. But that we see that there was a devotion to this. We're going to pray together, pray for one another. We're going to pray and ask God to do what only He can do. We're going to pray and give Him control. We're going to pray and ask His direction. We're going to commune with Him. We're just going to enjoy Him. We're going to pray and not even ask Him anything. We're just going to spend time with Him and worship Him and, and give our devotion to Him because we love Him and we want to be in relationship with Him. Let prayer rise up in your heart this year. Opportunities to pray for one another. Opportunities to pray with one another. Opportunities to just pray. Maybe it's in this area that God's calling you to step into in a place of devotion. I'm going to devote myself to prayer. I'm going to devote myself to hearing God. Do you know that prayerlessness is actually pridefulness? To, to, to go without prayer, to be prayerless, is actually a sign of self-sufficiency and pride. That I, I, I don't need God's help. I don't need connection. I don't need, need I can kind of, I got it, God. I'm all good. You just intervene when I make a mess. This, this is a place of humility. God, I'm surrendered to you. I need you desperately. I can't do this by myself. I can't do today by myself. Lord, I need your presence. I need you. Prayer is a sign of, of devotion. It's an expression of our hearts towards God. Prayer is not... I used to have this thought when I first became a Christian that prayer was the older lady's thing. 
forgive me. And that's because the intercessors used to majority be like the older ladies in the church who would pray. And then I start, me and JL, man, we used to have some nights of prayer where we go out pray, praying for, you know, all sorts of stuff happening. I'm like, take me back to those times when I hungered for fellowship and connection and prayer to pray with my brothers and sisters, to pray for what God is doing. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face, will turn to me in humility and pray, then I will bring healing. I will heal their land. Come on, let it be a year where we connect with God in prayer. I'm not trying to force anything. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for not. What I do want to do is, is show us that when we devote ourselves in these different areas, there is something that will take place in your life. I can, I can tell you, you know, go and eat healthy food. I can tell you go and exercise, go and uh, do whatever it might be, and that might benefit you a bit. But I want to see what is good for your soul. If we orient ourselves in this way and we devote our time, our, our, give this priority, not just compartmentalize it. The prayer is on the, the Monday night, every fortnight prayer meeting. No, that's one aspect. Pray without ceasing. Pray throughout the day. To orient us in a way that will hopefully help us to have some healthy habit in this year. Let me pray now. Can I pray? I'm going to anyway. Maybe you need to just close your eyes and focus. I know there's a bit of movement around. But Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you. I just, you know, thank you that you have done so much to bring us to this point where we have such free access to these words on not just on a page but that are living and active today. Lord, we don't want to be ignorant of what your word says. We want to mature and grow in in the understanding of your word. To grow in what you have shown us and say to us. And as a church father, our hearts are to align ourselves with your word. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that may struggle with that thought, with that concept where it feels too scary, where it feels like things are going to have to change, where it feels like it might be a little bit too daunting. Help us to receive the grace that we need to understand your word and to apply your word to our lives. God, I pray that you would orient us with your word, that you would help us to be calibrated to your word, and that you would call us to that place of devotion to your word. And Lord, we pray as well that, that our um, relationships this year would be rich. That as we do life together, as we fellowship one with another, God, that there would be opportunities for encouragement and strengthening, for challenging and championing. God, that there would be opportunities for us to deepen and mature in our faith and our relationship with you and each other. And Lord, as we gather around tables and we break bread to remember you, may it not be some sort of old tradition, 
but may it be a fresh uh, centering of our hearts and our lives around what you have done, what you will do, and what you are doing in our hearts. And I do pray, God, that there would be a, 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 just a hunger in our hearts for prayer this year. Again, not just some relig- ritualistic religious activity, but a fresh relationship with you, where we walk with you by your Spirit. We hear, we share, we pray. And God, we see you do many miracles and things in our lives. Let this not be a work of the flesh but a work of your Spirit in us. For those who are born again and live by the Spirit, may there be almost a light switch that comes on and the devotion to rise up in our hearts. And then in those days when we don't feel the devotion, Lord, let us be disciplined in what you call us to and live with intention, aiming ourselves in the right direction toward what will bring maturity and growth in our hearts and in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.